Well, I'm excited to be able to share with you guys this morning. Um, again, Tom is, Pastor Tom is out of town, and so he asked me to preach today. And so for those of you who might not know, know me, you might recognize me. I've been up here playing guitar for a while for the last few months, but uh, my name is Nathan Duke, and I actually grew up around the Antigo area here, but I've, I've been in Florida and Minnesota over the last couple of years, and then I wound up back here. Um, so excited about that, and I was actually brought on part-time here at Springbrook Church um, as a church planting resident, which is pretty much a, an internship, um, one or two years or so, that we'll be looking at eventually planting a church in the future, hopefully. That's the idea. So, so I just joined a couple months ago, and it's been really fun getting to know a lot of you and um, just seeing what God is doing here in the Northwoods of Wisconsin and the Potato Flats of Anago. So, yeah, it's been fun. But for the sermon today, I actually settled on a passage uh, that I love and that I spent quite a bit of time on um, in a couple of my classes. I, I went to college in the Twin Cities at Bethlehem College and Seminary, and there were a couple of classes where I was actually studying this passage, and, I, and that is Colossians 2, 6 through 15, if you want to get your Bibles out and get ready. But, so I got to teach on this text. Actually, it was, it was funny. It was the Antigo Young Adults Group. Um, about a year and a half ago, I zoomed in on, on their meeting kind of at the start of the pandemic when, when everyone was at home. Um, and so I was able to teach on this text during a Zoom meeting. Um, and it was just interesting because as we'll see, this text is telling us to root our identity in Christ and not on other worldly philosophies that are prevalent around us. And really at that time when I was teaching on this passage, uh, there were just so many opinions and philosophies flying around and worldviews clashing with the virus being new and the election kind of looming in the distance. And so, so that, was, that was the context that I was teaching on. And it really, after that, um, as we've seen, just the, the polarization of society since then, is, it's been crazy. And so, so even, even today, um, I think this is gonna be a good thing for us to be looking at, is um, talking about philosophies that are not in accordance with Christ. And so I'll be talking about um, our identity in Christ and our identity as each individual, as each family, and as our church family must be found in Christ. And I think we'll see this laid out in this passage today. And so I hope that this can be encouraging and convicting to us as we look to Christ and as we seek his kingdom first. And so a little background um, on this passage, since we're moving from our regular sermon series with Pastor Tom, uh, we're going through First Timothy in that series, but this is a seemingly random kind of a, um, this passage in Colossians, it's a step away from the First Timothy um, um, series that we're preaching on. But it's cool because th this actually has a lot of parallels to last Sunday, um, First Timothy chapter four that Tom was preaching on, and I didn't realize this until until after I had 
kind of chosen the passage, so it's kind of fun how God works in that way sometimes. So, 1 Timothy is a letter written by Paul to Timothy, who was leading the church in Ephesus. And then Colossians today, Colossians is similar. It's a letter written by Paul to the church of Colossae, which is in the same region as Ephesus. And thus it has some of the same or similar dangers and false teachings that are creeping into the church. And so these two books, they both address some sort of philosophy or false teaching, which was prevalent around that province, the province of Asia, Asia Minor, which was throwing churches for a loop. And, and as Pastor Tom mentioned last week, the church in Ephesus was having to battle philosophies, was having to battle these false teachings, which sounded pretty good, which sounded like normal Christian teachings, including like giving up certain things in our life, kind of living sacrificially. But really the motive behind this was wrong. And this is what the false teaching was about. This is why it was so bad. Um, the motive for the sacri sacrificial living was not out of gratitude towards God and not out of an overflow of praise to him, but out of their feeling like they needed to prove they were in right standing with God by adding things to the gospel, like abstaining from different foods or drinks. And so it was really works-based. It was not based on the finished work of Christ and the grace that he gives us. So they had added things to Christ's finished work. They had neglected to put Christ at the center of their lives, but they kind of placed him on the periphery. So it was like, it was, yes, Christ, but Christ and these other things as well. And so we're going to see here in Colossians, sort of doubling down on this idea, on this, on this similar issue of false teaching. And Paul describes the philosophy in the Colossian church, and in so doing, he exhorts the Colossian church to be found in Christ, to be rooted and established. And he's going to give two kind of key reasons why we shouldn't follow these other philosophies. So if you want to turn to the passage, again, it's Colossians 2, verses 6 through 15, and I'm going to read that right now. So it says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted, built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities 
and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. All right, so one of the very first things that I noticed about this section is how often Paul uses the phrase, in him. And I think Paul is really trying to drive home this point. And that really, that became kind of the basis for this message um, that I wanted to share. It's that our, our identity must be in Christ. So I just wanted to point that out. You can kind of be watching for those in him um, phrases throughout this passage. But starting with verses 6 through 7, it says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And so these verses are kind of the foundational, like, starting point for the rest of this passage. And Paul uses the imagery of a tree and a building. So a tree must have firm roots if it's going to thrive. And a building, similarly, it must have a firm foundation if it's going to stand. And as Christians, our spiritual roots and our spiritual foundation, it must be firm and secure in Christ if we are to thrive and if we are to stand. And so Paul is saying here that you have been rescued. God has saved you. And so now walk and live your life like someone who has this unshakable foundation, abounding in thanksgiving. And that's because you do. You have this unshakable foundation in Christ. And so this reality of being rooted in Christ is going to guide the rest of this passage as Paul addresses the different philosophies and false teachings that had come into the Colossian church. And so leading into verse 8, Paul is going to give a charge to the Colossians. And he says here, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And so this is a pretty straightforward charge here, but it does kind of explain a little bit about this philosophy or about the philosophies that are going around throughout the Colossian church here and that Paul is warning against. And really, it's interesting, uh, the Greek word for philosophy, it has a little bit more of a range of meaning than maybe we think of today with, I don't know, I think of like Plato, Aristotle, some of the philosophers, um, thinkers, but really this is, at the time when this was written, this had more of a range that included like different religious um, sects. So think of like the Pharisees and Sadducees, it's kind of like those would even be included as philosophy. And I think, um, I think it's really, just given the context um, and the Colossian church, it's is talking about it has some religious, um, some religious and some maybe folklore kind of ideas going around in the in these philosophies. And so, yeah, so it seems pretty similar actually to last week's message in in First Timothy, what the Ephesian church was dealing with. 
Um, so, but whatever these philosophies are that prompted Paul to give this charge, the most important thing about it is that it was not according to Christ. So it was according to human tradition. It was according to the elemental spirits of the world, kind of the worship of, of angels, um, asceticism, but it was not according to Christ. And so Paul gives this charge that we not be taken captive by these philosophies. And then kind of like a, like a curious kid or like a, like a good American, we like to question everything. Um, and, and so really the unspoken question from verse eight here is like, why shouldn't we follow these other philosophies? What's wrong with it? Um, if these are just cultural, if these are just religious traditions of our ancestors, what's the harm? And so Paul is going to masterfully, I think, answer these questions um, as we look into verses 9 through 15. And he's going to do this by looking at the work of Christ in his death and resurrection and what that means for us as believers. So previously in chapter 1 of Colossians, Paul has already, he's lifted up Christ kind of on a pedestal and, and shown his greatness and the grandeur of who he is. And that would honestly take multiple sermons in itself, but I did want to just read a little bit of that because, because he's shown who Christ is. And then we're going to look at the work of Christ here in this passage. But Colossians 1 verses 15 through 18 says, He is the image of Christ the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. So Paul lifts Christ up on a pedestal. He's given the Colossians a charge not to be taken captive by philosophies in verse 8. And now he's going to explain what the work of Christ means for us in the following verses. And so why shouldn't we be taken captive by philosophies? So reason number one in verses 9 and 10 is that Christ is supreme over every philosophy and Paul sort of repaints and doubles up on this picture of greatness that we saw in, in verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. So he kind of doubles up on that when he says, For in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And so let's look at the first part of this. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So this points to the incarnation of Christ. And this is the mind-boggling reality that we see in Scripture of God coming down to earth as a baby, inhabiting human flesh and blood. It's God in all his glory and majesty, emptying himself of that glory and humbling himself and becoming a servant on our behalf. So Paul actually says in um, another book, in Philippians 2, he says, Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. 
And so we see that Jesus took on our flesh and we can now identify with him in that way, with one who is familiar with our sufferings, someone who has walked on this earth before us, and yet he is fully God. And that's the amazing part. Jesus Christ who walked among us, he is fully God. And we celebrate this reality of Christ's incarnation at Christmas when our focus, and this will be coming up soon, (laughs) um, we focus on just the reality of his birth and his coming down to the earth. And there's a reason for this. So there's a reason that we focus in on this during Christmas. So all of the Old Testament scriptures point to this event. From the opening pages of Genesis, when mankind has fallen into sin, God promises that the seed of the woman, Eve, would crush the head of the serpent, the devil. And then we see the whole storyline of the Old Testament following his seed through the genealogies of the people of Israel, on through the kings of Israel, catching clear visions of him, of the Messiah, through King David, and then along through the prophetic books, through the prophets, we hear about this Messiah who was coming, who would redeem the people of Israel. And so the significance of Jesus' incarnation, of his miraculous birth and his entrance into this world, into a humble stable, it is massive. And Colossians 2.9 makes clear that this little baby who was born and this man who walked among the people of Israel and who died and was raised to life, he was no ordinary man, but the fullness of deity dwells in him. He is fully God and fully man. But there's actually no break in the passage because it keeps on going to verse 10. And it continues to answer the question of why we should not be taken captive by philosophies. And it says, the fullness of deity dwells in him and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And so Paul brings the Colossian church into this, and by extension, he brings us into this as well. And so think of this. Your current standing, our current standing with God, and I'll just make this clear, that that is if you have repented of your sins and turned to Christ, if you've believed in Jesus to cover your sins and you're covered by his righteousness, So if this is true, then the reality is that we are filled, that we reside in, and that we have our identity in Christ. So we have Jesus Christ as our foundation. We have the one in whom the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The one who is head over all rulers and authorities, and we are filled in him. And so we turn to him and we look to him alone and we guard against any philosophy that is not according to Christ. And the remaining five verses of our text are going to further draw out what this means for us to be in Christ by displaying the work of Christ and what that means for us. And Paul's going to use a few different pictures that represent our former reality of being dead in sin but now alive to God in Christ. And so again, he's still, 
he's continuing to answer this question of, of why we should not be taken captive by philosophies. But the last five verses here, it reads, this is, yeah, verse 11 through 15. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And so these last five verses are interesting because at first I thought it was kind of laid out like in a row and segmented where, where Paul writes first about circumcision, then baptism, and then the cross and resurrection of Christ. But actually, as I looked closer, I think Paul is really laying out one key point in this and then kind of coming at it from three different angles. And so I think the big idea and the main point of this section is that we identify with Christ both in his death and his resurrection. And just as Christ died and was raised to life, so we were dead in our sins, but now we are made alive in Christ. And so the first angle he takes to explain this is circumcision. And I know some of you might be uncomfortable talking about circumcision. That's understandable. But bear with me, because this is actually an important, it's a, it's a thread all throughout um, Scripture. And it is right here in the text. And so, so that means it's important. So in Genesis, Genesis 17, Abraham was told as a sign of God's covenant with him, he was told to perform a circumcision of each male in his household. And from that point on, it was to be done to every male child born into the community of Israel. And this was done as kind of a sign or a seal um, signifying entrance into the covenant community of Israel. But as we go throughout scripture, we see that circumcision was always intended on being a matter of the heart and not simply the physical aspect of it. And we can see this already in Deuteronomy 10:16, where Moses draws out the fuller meaning of circumcision, the heart circumcision. And also in Jeremiah, where the prophet, uh, Jeremiah 4, I believe it's verse 4, where the prophet is calling on Judah and Jerusalem to return to God in repentance and to circumcise their hearts. So then here in Colossians, it says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And so we have this picture of heart circumcision, of our, of our fleshly nature being cut off when we, when we repent and believe in Christ. And we are now part of the new covenant, which is in Christ. And so similarly, 
it moves on and talks about baptism as another picture, as another physical representation of how we identify with Christ in both his death and his resurrection. And so it says here, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And so believers are buried in the water of baptism, representing death to our fleshly nature. And then as we are brought up from the water, this represents this represents the resurrection, the new life that we have in Christ. Uh, Romans 6, 4 also kind of draws this idea out even more. It says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So just as Jesus has done it, so we are brought to life as well. So baptism is the outward visible sign of a believer's identification of being brought from death to life through Christ's death and resurrection. And so this passage um, ends with the third angle of how we identify with Christ. And that's through the picture of the record of debt, which was paid in full through the cross of Christ. It says in verses 13 and 14, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And so if you believe in Christ, if your sins and your guilt then your sins and your guilt have been nailed to the cross, finally and completely. And the ESV study Bible points out here that this, the record of debt that it talks about here, in Roman terms, this was actually a note given to someone showing their indebtedness. And I think that kind of, that's another picture of, um, of what we're talking about here just kind of makes it clear, but our record of debt, which formerly kept us from the presence of God, that was nailed to the cross. It's gone forever. It's paid in full. And so lastly, in the final verse, verse 15, Paul kind of circles back around to verse 10, actually, which talked about Christ being the head of all rule and authority. And I, I like the, um, the NIV version for this last verse because I think it sets the scene better and it kind of interprets Paul's original Greek better than the ESV, in my opinion. Um, but it actually says here, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So this is kind of the picture of 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 the Roman army maybe parading through the streets and with, with whoever they had just conquered. <laughs> and and that, that's what Christ has done. Like he's, he's, he's making a public spectacle of, um, of the devil and his armies who he has conquered. So, and so, so this 
is our identity. We find our identity in Christ. Our sins are forgiven, and we walk and are made alive in the fullness of Christ. And so, so all of this has been kind of answering. It's why should we not be taken captive by worldly philosophies? And Paul answers that um, through, these, through these verses that we've just looked at, that, that all teachings, all worldviews and religions must bow to Christ because Jesus is Lord and it is in his death and resurrection that he reigns supreme over every earthly and spiritual power. And so why should we not be taken captive by worldly philosophies? Because in the same way that Jesus died and was raised, he brings us from death to life. And we now identify with him in his death and resurrection. And so brothers and sisters, Springbrook Church, we worship a big God. We worship a mighty God. We worship a God who has conquered every power on this earth and in heaven, who reigns supreme. And we also worship a compassionate and merciful God a God who has stooped down, who humbled himself by taking on our flesh to rescue us and to make us a part of his family. So this is Jesus Christ. This is the lion and the lamb. And it is in Jesus Christ alone that we find our identity. And so how can we kind of bring this this plane down to land? Like how do we take this amazing reality and apply it to our situation right here right now in Antigo, Wisconsin, at Springbrook Church. Well, when we know who we are, and when we know who we belong to, when we understand the rock-solid reality of being in Christ, we can walk in freedom, we can, and we can then pursue what Ephesians 2.10 says is the good works which God has prepared for us in advance. But we are able to do these good works not, um, not out of guilt, not trying to earn our good standing with God, because there is nothing in us that can earn that. So when we are in Christ, that means we have Christ's righteousness, not our own. And so just like Pastor Tom talked about last week in 1 Timothy, these things like living sacrificially, like pouring out our lives for others, like doing good works, these things are good and right when we have this perspective of being in Christ, when we have our identity in the right place, which says, look at what Christ has accomplished for us through the cross and his resurrection. We are secure. We are found in Christ. And now, this reality, this reality of being in Christ, now we can go forward as individuals, as families, and as the church. We can go forward, and like Colossians 2.6 says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, now walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith. So let's do this. Let's walk together in Christ, and let's live our lives in this immovable, unshakable foundation of Jesus Christ. And if there is anyone here today who has not believed in Christ, who has not repented of your sins, and has not received this gift of salvation, I would just urge you to think 
about these things, to think through these things, and to cry out to Jesus for salvation. The Bible says in Mark 1, 15, repent and believe in the gospel. And in Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And then this firm foundation, this rootedness, this basis for life of being found in Christ will be for you as well. And you'll be welcomed into the family of God. So Colossians 2, 6 through 15 asks the question, why should we not be taken captive by philosophies and deceitful schemes? And it answers, because Christ is supreme. He is Lord over every philosophy, over every false teaching, over every teaching in this world, over every ruler, ruler and authority, whether earthly or spiritual, and we are in him. And because Jesus Christ has brought us from death to life, we can now identify with him through his death and resurrection. So Springbrook Church, we identify with Christ. We are firmly rooted. Our foundation and our security is in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so let's live our lives in light of this glorious truth that we are in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this reality that we are in Christ, that there is no other philosophy, there is no other um, teaching that compares to you. God, we ask right now that as we go forward, that as we go into this week, that you would meet us, that we would be found in you and that our lives would overflow with this reality of being found in you, of having our identity in Christ. It's in your name I pray. Amen.